It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey nerds, welcome to episode 486 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today, uh, Jill officially bought a house, so she is doing all of the things that uh, new homeowners get to go through, moving all their stuff to one from one house to the other and all that good jazz. So uh, you just have me today, uh, well, and also Remy, my younger of my two pups, although younger is a bit of a stretch, she's eight, uh, but he joins me for all of, all of my podcast recordings. Not that you guys can see him. He's probably just going to sleep the whole time. But if you hear some borking, it is Remy's borking, not mine. Uh, today, I'm going to do a whole bunch of book recommendations. Uh, and it's going to be a little bit of a, a two-part situation. So the first half I'm going to do are some book recommendations for fans and listeners. Uh, because I asked for what people are reading on Twitter this week and said I would give some book recommendations. And uh, everybody kind of came through uh, almost an overwhelming amount. Uh, so I have several book recommendations based on things that people have been reading. And then uh, I also am going to do a kind of, if you like this, read that for some horror style Halloween spooky things. So some books for like Dracula fans or if you love witchy reads or Shirley Jackson, things like that. Um, So going to get into all of those uh, on the second half of this episode. So that's, that's what you can expect today. I will put all of the books in our show notes, so no need to furiously write them down. Uh, I'll give some shout outs to the people who, uh, whose books I'm recommending based off of what they've been reading. Uh, Yeah, all good stuff. Also want to take a quick second just to thank everybody who's been leaving us reviews in iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. If you haven't done that yet, quick five-star rating and a, a nice sentence of a review, whatever you like about the podcast, we really appreciate it. Um, and also anyone who has written in, uh, we had a bunch of emails over the past couple of weeks that were just really sweet and it <laughs> makes my day to be able to to read them all. Um, it just really is, is lovely to hear. And in fact, got one that I wanted to read here because it's, uh, it's going to kind of kick us off into our book recommendations because someone wrote in, this happens a lot. It's a thing we don't usually talk about too much, but it's just fantastic. Um, people write in and give us book recommendations based off of what Jill and I have said we've loved over the years. And it just makes my day. So Becky wrote in and said, hi, I'm catching up with recent episodes and just listened to the one where Jill talks about reading the new Ruth Ware. I'm so jealous, by the way, and how it's a locked room mystery, but with coworkers. I have a recommendation for a mystery about a retreat among coworkers. Force of Nature by Jane Harper is about coworkers who go on a retreat that involves camping in the Australian bush. One of the coworkers gets lost and doesn't make it out of the bush, and there may or may not be a serial killer in the area. It's fantastic with so much coworker drama, and I love the outdoor setting with some very reluctant campers who want nothing to do with the retreat, but had to come because it's mandatory. You're going to love it. Uh, I also am interested in this book, so I will also be reading Force of Nature um, down the road because it just sounds delightful. So thank you for writing in. Like I said, we get a bunch of people writing in and saying how much they appreciate things and asking for specific authors to come on the podcast that I'm, I'm I'm efforting to see if I can make that happen too. But um, yeah, it, it really, it warms our heart. It really does make my day when I open up my Outlook inbox and see a whole bunch of listener emails. So thank you for that. Uh, also, uh, you can always find us at professionalbooknews.com. That email address that people have been using is uh, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at probooknerds. That's where, like I said, a lot of these book recommendations are going to come from. Uh, the interactions I had on Twitter with people. 
Uh, and if you want to get some swag, we've got fun t-shirts uh, at shop.overdrive.com. You can get a Libby hoodie, which is great for the fall. It's got finger holes, which everyone seems to love. Uh, but there's also professional book nerds t-shirts there and Libby masks so you can keep yourself safe while you're out in the world uh, and all sorts of fun stuff. It's at shop.overdrive.com. Okay, that's all the housekeeping. Let's get into some book recommendations because I have a whole heck of a lot of them. So uh, we're going to start with the recommendations from people that uh, were reading on Twitter and they reached out. So the first one is for Holly Zander. Uh, Holly said that they really enjoyed Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed and When We Were Magic by Sarah Gailey. So for Such a Fun Age, I'm going to recommend Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Uh, this has some of the same like social commentary about race and class uh, that I really liked from Such a Fun Age. And this one, I think I might have talked about it earlier in the year. I believe it came out in January, but it, it's hard to remember in 2020 what happened this year or what happened 17 years ago. So um, Long Bright River is set in Philadelphia, and it's this neighborhood that's been um, really impacted by the opioid crisis. And there's these two sisters who used to be inseparable, and now they find themselves at odds. Uh, Casey lives on the streets and she is addicted to drugs. And then Mickey uh, walks on those same blocks because she is a police officer who has a beat that isn't in that same area. And it's uh, the family dynamics are remind me a little bit of such a fun age and also just the struggle that they have in this there's like a, a present day mystery and like the struggle that they have with each other and their their lives um but also is intertwined with the with the the childhood and adolescence um that they they grew up with and it's it's a little bit heartbreaking but it's also really beautiful and um the kind of combination of like i said uh family situation and social commentary and, and uh race relations and things like that uh I, it really stuck with me so that that's long bright river again that's for um Holly who said that she liked such a fun age or anyone who liked such a fun age, um, which I know has been read by a whole bunch of people. And then When We Were Magic by Sarah Gailey. Oh man, they are, I adore them so much. I have two recommendations for this. Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson and We Ride Upon Sticks um, by Barry Kwan. And both of these books have been recommended uh, by Kwan Barry, excuse me, not Barry Kwan, apologies. <laughs> um, both of these books We've talked about them a little bit on our podcast. And also I know a lot of our listeners are also reading glasses listeners. So you may have heard them talk about both these books as well. But uh, Undead Girl Gang, just to give you a quick recap in case you missed the episode that we uh, talked about it. So there is a teenage, our main character's name is, I said Mila. I, I read this, I didn't listen to it. It might be Mila, M-I-L-A. Uh, but Mila is a teenage Wiccan and they really don't care about what you think. Um, and she doesn't care about the, what she looks like or if you have an issue with her weight or what she wears. Um, and she has this BFF Riley who's right by her side. Um, and then there's a Riley and a few of their other friends die under like suspicious circumstances. And Riley, um, refuses to believe everyone like assumes that they're in a suicide pact and she just refuses to believe that. So, uh, instead she brings them back to life. And then uh, what ends up happening is Riley and the other girls that were murdered have no recollection of their murders, uh, but they do have unfinished business and they only have seven days to try to figure out what happened. It's, um, it's a really powerful uh, female friendship book, but it's also a little bit creepy. Um, it's kind of like Veronica Mars meets The Craft. Uh, so I think you'll really, really enjoy that one. And then the other one, uh, We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. So kind of the same thing it, in the sense that it is set in this coastal town of Danvers, Massachusetts, where um, there were accusations in the late 1600s that led to the witch trials. Um, but this book is set in the late 1980s, and it follows the Danvers high school uh, field hockey team. And they'll do anything that it takes to get to the state finals, even if that means tapping into some devilishly dark powers. Um, it's very 1980s. There's a ton of like references to Heather's and big hair. And, uh, but again, it's this really delightful um, 
that strong female characters who uh, really care about each other. There's a lot of talks of femininity, femininity and friendship and a um, whole bunch of great stuff. So, uh, yeah, that we read upon sticks by Quanberry and uh, Undead Girl Gang are both delightful if you are a fan of When We Were Magic. Uh, okay, let's keep moving because I got a whole bunch of these. I don't want to have a 16-hour episode. Uh, so the next one on here is from Parent Spiced Latte on Twitter, which I really enjoyed. Uh, they said that they were currently reading Pope Francis's new encyclical letter, which is called Fratelli Tutti, and Henry Kissinger's uh, Diplomacy. Haven't read Henry Kissinger's Diplomacy, and there's enough political stuff going on in the world. I assume you're probably listening to this for some escapism. So we won't get into that, but uh, I do have a recommendation for, for uh, Pope Francis's newest encyclical letter, which I actually have read as well. It came out a couple of days ago, and it's all about uh, it's Pope Francis's commentary on friendship and fraternity and brotherhood and um, but it's also about human dignity and it's really good. I've talked about this in the past uh, a number of times. I, I wouldn't call myself um, super religious, but I am spiritual and I also am really interested in like the, the teachings of various religions. And so I do read a fair amount of writings by kind of holy leaders as they would be described, you know? Um, and so I, I really liked, uh, fertility. It's, it, it's, it was refreshing to see a religious leader talk about how religions need to come together and, you know, understand each other and stick up for the rest of the world. And um, there is some discussion about the kind of relationship between Christianity and um, Islam. And so I was thinking about this and what I think really aligns with this is a book that I've talked about a lot over the years, one of the best books I've ever read, which is A Place for Us by Fatima Farin Mirza. This is the story of a Muslim family and it tells the story of the various children in the, um, in the family. It tells all of their points of view and this kind of like heartbreaking upbringing of their family and their relationships with each other as siblings, but also with their parents and also their religion. Uh, and then at the end, it tells the very heartbreaking version of the story from their father's point of view. Uh, and it just, I don't know, it, it, it felt like there's a through line there. So uh, it really is about family and sibling relationships and things like that. So uh, yeah, a place for us, if, you've, if you're somewhat new to the podcast, you've never heard me talk about it, um, Fatima was on the podcast. You can go to professionalbooknews.com and just look up a place for us. Uh, if you want to listen to her talk about the book, because it's incredible. Okay, uh, Mark Walker on Twitter said that he, uh, a song for a new day, the guest list and six of crows were all good finds for me this year. So I did some thinking here and I'm going to go with some recommendations for uh, six of crows first. Uh, the recommendation for six of crows, which is by Lee Bardugo, which is a kind of like a group of misfits that perform a heist and there's magic and fantasy involved and it's Lee, so it's incredibly well-written. Uh, but I'm choosing, it's almost like a, a fun, it's been compared to like a fun fantasy magical Ocean's Eleven type of a, a story. Um, so I wanted to focus on the, the group of misfits who come together for an unlikely situation. So There Will Come a Darkness by Katie Rose Poole, which came out earlier this year. Um, and actually, now that I'm looking at uh, the title details page on Overdrive, it actually literally says Lee Bardugo's Six of Crows uh, meets Graceling. So I guess I did kind of get this one pretty right. But the reason why I like this book is because this group, there's a, a prince who's exiled, there's a ruthless killer um, known as the, the Pale Hand, and then there's this um, leader who is torn between his duty and his heart. There's also a gambler with, a, with like special powers to find anything or anyone. There's also a, a dying girl and they're all brought together and all of them or one of them could uh, save the world or they could destroy the world. And they're trying to figure out who it could be and, and why and just, you know, love a, uh, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't call it a found family, but it's a found group that you know, I love when people are put together in unlikely scenarios. So uh, there will come a darkness by Katie Rose Poole. 
really, really good for fans of Six of Crows uh, by Lee Bardugo. And then the other one that Mark said he enjoyed, uh, The Guest List by Lucy Foley. This is one, it's uh, a book that is kind of like a murder mystery set on an island. Uh, it's very Agatha Christie-esque, um, much like any murder mystery in a house is, of course. Uh, so I have a couple that I've talked about, I think, this year. Uh, the first is The Truants by Kate Weinberg. Uh, it's an Agatha Christie-inspired story, but it's more of a novel set on a university campus. Um, and it's definitely more literary than mystery, but there is a kind of murder mystery that happens. And um, there's sort of that famous Agatha Christie like reveal near the end where you, you learn what happens. But if you want something that's more about like a place where people can't leave and there's a mystery and you're not really sure what's going on. I really like The Eighth Detective by Alex Pavese or Pavese? Pavese? Oh boy. I'm definitely butchering the last name, so I apologize. Uh, the Eighth Detective is this story it's almost like a book of short stories that all tied up into one story so there is this writer and he uh, found this he used to be a, a mathematician and he found this formula to devise uh, to write the perfect style of murder mysteries and he uh, what happens in the book is he's being interviewed by an editor at the place where he published his book or his books rather um, about why he did it the way that he did. And we think there's something else going on uh, on the island as we learn more and more about his story. But it's interesting because every other chapter is a conversation between the author and the editor uh, where the other chapter back and forth is the, is the stories that he wrote. So you get to hear several different types of murder mysteries. And then also you get to see how they're all tied together as well. So it's almost like murder mystery is wrapped up in a murder mystery. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's like French toast, I suppose, you know, like stacks of French toast, like French toast within French toast. It's not at all like French toast, but I'm hungry, so I apologize. Doing these by yourself, man, it is hard. Uh, Alicia Rhiannon said that she loved Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Oof, who doesn't? Man, what a great book that is. And Watch Over Me by Nina LaCour. Uh, Cemetery Boys, I am choosing to focus on the diverse cast and the Latinx kind of witchy vibes. So uh, Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova is the first in her Brooklyn Bruja series. Uh, all three of the books are out in the trilogy now. Um, and it's the story of these uh, Brooklyn Brujas, which are witches, uh, and they are Latinx and they <clears throat> go to a kind of other land and they discover their powers and their sisters and, um, so I, I really, there's some like kind of through line with the, the magic and uh, the witchiness there with Cemetery Boys. Um, and then Ghost Squad by Clarabelle Ortega, same thing. It has like that feeling of um, like Coco and kind of like, I, I don't know, I really, really enjoy. This one is, um, I should clarify, uh, Clarabelle Ortega's book is a little bit, it's more middle grade than, than young adult. Um, but it, like I said, it has that kind of uh, ghosty, other world, um, kind of Dia de los Muertos, Coco feel to it. Uh, so it's, it's right before Halloween, and um, these friends cast a spell that accidentally awakens these malicious spirits. And they start wreaking havoc all through St. Augustine. Um, and together, they join forces with uh, one of the characters' grandmothers. Um, and they have to fight the haunting head on and, and reverse it. So it, again, it, it, it's a little bit like Ghostbusters and it meets Coco. Um, so both of these, I think, work really, really well. Um, but if you haven't read Cemetery Boys yet by Aiden Thomas, oh, you have to go get that. It is so, so fabulous. Um, and then for Watch Over Me by uh, Nina LaCour, I thought about this one for a little bit. And this is going to be, I think more of an adjacent read um but that is a kind of a dark uh a dark horror set in a farm um and it's all about this uh young woman discovering herself and uh so i'm gonna go with the farm by joanne ramos which i think came out last year again time is a fickle thing these days uh so this one 
is a story that is set in um, the Hudson Valley in New York. And there's this retreat that is like very high end. There's organic meals and you have like fitness trainers and massages and all of it's for free. Um, in fact, you're actually, you're paid a ton of money to go there. And, and the reason is that for nine months, you can't leave the grounds. Everything that you do is monitored and you're cut off from all of your former life um, because you have to basically produce a child for someone else. So our main character, Jane, um, she's an immigrant in the Philippines in desperate search of a better future. And, and she commits to being a host at this place. It's called Golden Oaks um, or the farm, which is what residents call it. But so um, Jane ends up getting pregnant and consumed with worry, um, but she still wants to stay connected to her outside life, but she can't leave the farm. Um, you know, and it's, it's a lot about motherhood and understanding the questions about what um, women go through to have a child and to fortify their, their futures and, um, and also like setting up futures for the people that they love. So it's not a quite one-to-one, -one, but I think, Alicia, I think you'll like The Farm by Joanne Ramos as well. And then last of these, Roxanne um, asks for recommendations like The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. <clears throat> and man, that is so hard because there are no, there are no writers like Stephen Graham Jones. There's only one Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, so I'm going to take a sip of water here real quick. First things first. Um, if you want a book similar to The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, the first of the two I'm going to recommend is Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, if you want more books written in that dark, creepy, um, atmospheric, Native American land, family ties, type of a story with like coming of age characters that he has also with like the horrible kind of <laughs> creepiness. Uh, you got to read another one of his books. So Mongrels is, it reminds me a little bit uh, of The Only Good Indians in the sense that the main character uh, is, he is living with his aunt and uncle and he is trying to figure out like how he fits in society and whether or not they want them. Um, but they're, they're mixed blood humans. You know, they're, they're mongrels. They is what they, they are described as in the book. Um, and the main character needs to decide if he belongs on the road with his aunt and uncle, or if he fits with the people on the other side of the tracks. Um, he has lived a life of like, narrow escapes and late night exits and he's always on the move across the south to stay kind of one step ahead of the law um but the time like it's time he's trying to figure out who he is and everything changes and it's it jumps back and forth between past and present and it's again it's all about this boy trying to understand his family and his place in the world um but it it's stephen graham jones so it uh it can be a little bit grisly and a little bit graphic at times, but that is um, absolutely a book you should check out uh, if you like his uh, his book, Feeling Good Indians. So the other one I'm going to re recommend that has a similar vibe is The Boatman's Daughter by Andy Davidson. I don't think I've talked about this this year, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it is, so it's set, in uh, the bayou in the south and Miranda is uh, our main character and her father dies and she is now ferrying contraband for this preacher and his like creepy band of followers to make ends meet um, and to protect this old witch with a secret child from harm um, and there's like a lot of creepiness that goes on the bayou is a really interesting setting for for stories uh, which I really enjoy. I like when books are set down in Louisiana. Um, and so there's supernatural things that are going on. Uh, but there's also just, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. The preacher makes a demand um, that kind of sets Miranda on this like dangerous path and it forces her to go through the bayou and 
realize how much she's willing to sacrifice or not for the people that she loves. So it's very creepy. Uh, it's definitely, it's a journey kind of similar to mongrels. I know the only good Indians um, is sort of set in one place more or less, but um, yeah, it's, it's very creepy. It's a good book for this time of year. So that's the boatman's daughter. Um, so yeah, those are recommendations based on all of the tweets that we got, or at least some of the tweets that we got, there was a whole bunch. So now I'm going to get into, if you like this, read that. Um, so Geely Siegel, I hope you're listening because you were the one who specifically wanted a book like this. Um, so you better be listening and I will message you if you aren't, if I don't get a message from you about this soon. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. So I'm going to do books that are similar to creepy style books that you may have already read. So first things first, um, Frankenstein or the modern day Prometheus uh, by Mary Shelley. So it's likely if you haven't read Frankenstein that you know the story of Frankenstein. So I don't need to get into what that is all about. But The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White is a incredible story it's kind of an extension i guess you could say uh to the the frankenstein story so our main character's name is elizabeth and uh, elizabeth hasn't had a proper meal in weeks um, and she is all bruised up from her caregiver and she's on the verge of being thrown into the streets until she's brought into this home of victor frankenstein who's this unsmiling solitary boy who has everything but no one likes him and so elizabeth's job basically is to be a friend to Victor Frankenstein and ends up working uh, and she's taken in by the Frankenstein family and lives a, a pretty pampered life from then on. But, and uh, her and Victor are like inseparable and her life. Um, she realizes that her survival depends on figuring out Victor's like crazy moods and his temper and entertaining his whims, no matter how like depraved they are. And um, yeah, it's just, as you can probably imagine, it involves some Frankenstein, uh, some Frankenstein-y type stuff. And it's, it's really, really good. But it's almost like on the um, outskirts of the story of Frankenstein, we're never like, you know, you're not directly dealing with the monster. You're dealing with all the things that are surrounding the monster and his creator. Um, <clears throat> bonus, um, speaking of, um, I know we talked about, I talked about reading glasses a little bit earlier. Um, one of the co-hosts of the Reading Glasses podcast, Bria Grant, had a new graphic novel that just came out this week called uh, called Mary, and you should definitely go check it out because it is a um, story about the like great 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 descendant of Mary Shelley, um, and it's a teenager and it's just delightful. So, uh, in fact, I saw that I think I saw it was going so well that um, a lot of places uh, have a uh, a backlist. Um, or a waiting list rather to get it, but definitely check that out. It's, it's fantastic. Okay. Um, Dracula, he's a vampire. Might've heard of him. Uh, Dracula by Bram Stoker is definitely one of my favorite classic horror novels. Um, I like that it's written in epistolary and a lot of people um, are interested in that. And like, I, I very much like the first part of Dracula the most when uh, we're in Dracula's castle and it's all of the letters that are being written describing everything. So uh, the first one I want to talk about is a book that Jill and I both have discussed um, somewhat over the past couple. I think we actually might talk about it in a recent episode, but The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova. Uh, this is a pretty well-known <coughs> um, book that is, it's definitely a, like a refashioned take on the vampire myth. Um, but it tells the story of this young woman who is in this labyrinth where uh, the secrets of her family kind of connect with um, Vlad the Impaler. And 
the time-defying pact that may have kept his awful work alive throughout the, the, the ages. So what uh, ends up happening is she goes on a search for truth uh, all across Eastern Europe to uncover if Vlad the Impaler is, exists and what's going on. And it's, it's definitely, a, it's a really good one for fans of books, or for people who enjoy books about research and libraries, because a lot of this takes place in monasteries and old libraries and the capitals of Eastern Europe. Really, really good stuff. So like I said, I know we've talked about it a little bit in the past and Elizabeth Kostova was on the podcast years and years ago. So again, if you go to professionalbookings.com and just look up Elizabeth's name, you'll find that if you want to hear her talk about this and also her other books. Um, but I also want to talk about two books that are directly connected to the original Dracula. Uh, so the first one is Dracula the Undead, which is the like accepted sequel by Bram Stoker's family because it is written by one of his descendants. Uh, I want to say Dacher Stoker or Dacer. It's D-A-C-R-E. Obviously, I'll have it in the, the show notes. So I apologize. I don't know how to say the first name. Um, but Dracula the Undead is set in London in 1912. Um, it's a quarter of a century after Count Dracula crumbled into dust, quote unquote, and Quincy Harker, who is the son of Jonathan and Mina Harker, leaves law school to pursue a career on stage, um, only to stumble upon the troubled production of Dracula, uh, directed and produced by Bram Stoker himself. As the play plunges Quincy into the world of his parents' terrible secrets, death begins to stalk the original band of heroes that defeated Dracula a quarter century ago. Could it be that the Count survived and is now seeking revenge, or is there another far more sinister force at work? whose relentless purpose is to destroy anything and anyone associated with Dracula, the most notorious vampire of all time. Again, I love that this is written by a direct descendant. Um, and also on top of that, um, Docker is a really well-known Dracula historian. Uh, so it's a lot of the stuff goes into this that he researched tirelessly. And again, the other one is called Dracul um, by Dr. Stoka and J.D. Barker. This one um is a prequel to dracula and it's inspired by like the notes and text that were left behind by the author um it reveals not only dracula's true origins but also bram stoker's and the tale of the enig enigmatic woman who connects them so a really cool thing about this is i listened to this interview yesterday with the author and he talked about how he there's this version of dracula that has a different forward and a different um, pre, I, I, it's, it, there's a part at the beginning of the book that is different than the ones that we know. And it basically says, it's like one of those things where it's like based on a true story and it implies that Bram Stoker thinks that vampires were real. And so Dracul is kind of based off of that where it's, you know, there's, Brahm, in his early days, he was really sick in Dublin. He was tended to by a caretaker, and then there was a string of like strange deaths that occurred. And uh, there's just I mean, it's really interesting because it's it's not quite um, it's not accepted fully by the Brahm Stoker kind of like family. They basically like okay, well we've got our sequel. We don't want to officially endorse this prequel, but it is written by the same person. Um, and so it's, it's a really, really good gothic suspense novel. Um, and it reveals, in theory, not only Dracula's true origins, but also Bram Stoker's. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you'll really like it. It's, it's good stuff. Uh, okay, so my buddy Christina, frequently on the show, she adores House of Leaves. Um, and I know that lots and lots of other people also adore House of Leaves. Um, House of Leaves, if you've never read it, it's very, very hard to describe, but I will try my best to briefly touch on it. Um, House of Leaves is written by Mark Z. Danielewski. And to break it down at its most basic, it is a novel that is about a story, about a house that is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, but it's also 
like it's written in such a way where there's a documentary and the documentary is also there's just man i'm trying to there's a ton of footnotes and many of which contain footnotes themselves and it, it some pages have like a ton of words some have no words uh some have like just everything is written sideways uh it has multiple narrators there's so much going on and it's very very confusing but i wanted to focus on the fact that like at its core it's a haunted house story you just don't technically really know much about the house so i have two haunted house stories that i really enjoyed uh white is for witching by helen oyemi white is for witching is again it's it's a haunted house story where the house and the family are very much intertwined so there's this silver family and they live off of um, they live in dover england and um they have this house that they've been in it's home to four generations of women in their family and they also live in the house with um the youngest one's twin brother elliot and ever since uh but it's a bed and breakfast now um the and women in this family have always had a really really strong connection and a pull for one another um but then what ends up happening is one of the mothers passes away and suddenly while they're on a road trip and they all come back to this house and um, one of the characters Miranda brings a friend to the home and their little closed off city of Dover has a lot of hostility towards outsiders and it starts to kind of manifest within the house itself and um, they have to figure out what's going on in this house um, but it's also a really interesting look on um, nationality and nationalism and race and family legacies. Um, but again, it's uh, all of it is really taking place in this very creepy house. And then the other one is called Slade House by David Mitchell. Uh, Slade House, I'm just going to read the, uh, the description for you. So uh, down the road from a working class British pub along the brick wall of a narrow alley if the conditions are exactly right, you'll find the entrance to Slade House. A stranger will greet you by name and invite you inside. And at first, you won't want to leave. And then later, you'll find that you can't leave. Every nine years, the house's residents, an odd brother and sister, extend a unique invitation to someone who's different or lonely, a precocious teenager, maybe a recently divorced policeman, or a shy college student. But what really goes on inside Slade House? For those who find out, it's already too late. So the book spans um, five decades from the last days of the 1970s to present day and it jumps genres being creepy being thrilling being suspenseful and again it's a haunted house story but it's like a new kind of reality warping version of a, a haunted house story so if you like house of these uh white is for witching by helen oyemi and slate house by david mitchell are both delightful uh okay if you are a fan of shirley jackson and you really should be um, but I'm going to focus especially on uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle and The Haunting on Hill House right now. Um, the Haunting on, of Bly Manor comes out on Friday on Netflix this week. Um, this isn't a sponsor or anything. I just am very excited for it because I loved the first Haunting on Hill House that they did uh, last year, I think. So I'm excited for that. And so that got me thinking about Shirley Jackson. And so I've got three recommendations for Shirley Jackson fans. And The Trees Crept In by Don Kurtagich. Oof, boy, this is a, uh, this, I told Don a long time ago that this was one of the few books I was reading it in a, I was finishing it in an airport after a event and I audibly gasped at the end of this. So it's the story of these two children who go to a house in the woods to stay with a family member and um, they end up being in the house uh, by themselves and the trees keep getting closer and closer to them and uh they feel like they're trapped and they're starving and the book is like falling down um in oubliette or like you can't get out you cannot get out of this book until you find your way through to the end it is circular in its timeline it is confusing the narrator isn't entirely reliable um, but it is so creepy it's very much like a psychological horror and few people write books like dawn does so highly recommend that um, the next one is a book that came out earlier this year called Wonderland by Zoya Stage. I talked about this briefly, but it's definitely, it's like when, if you took Shirley Jackson's We've Always Been in the Castle, um, but combined it with The Shining. So this family goes to a house that their uh, relatives 
kind of bequeath upon them. I can't quite remember why they get to this cabin, but it's a cabin in the woods. And the mother, um, the mother was a ballet dancer in New York for years. That's how she says like she was a successful ballet dancer. That's how the family survived. And her husband was a, a stay-at-home dad. And now that she's retired, it's kind of his turn to get to live his life the way that he wants. So he is a painter and they go to this this cabin so that he can paint and be at one with nature while he does it. Um, and strange things start happening at the cabin and they find that they can't really leave and they're not really sure why. Um, and it is, again, it's you're never sure what to believe, what's real, what's not. Um, and it has very much like this creeping, uh, almost claustrophobic feeling where you can't escape, they can't escape the house and you, you can very much feel that while you're reading the book. Um, and speaking of cabins where people can't escape, <laughs> Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay is a very classic family is in a cabin and there are people that are coming to the cabin to do uh, some not great things to the family. Um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting look on that type of like slasher idea because there's also things going on in the world where the family isn't sure if the world is ending and if you know these people that are coming to murder them are like basically saying like we have to kill you to save the world and they don't believe it and um it's interesting it's really really good it sticks with you for sure so uh if you are a fan of witchy reads we talk about witch related books a whole bunch here um but if you're looking for some additional ones in addition to the ones that i talked about earlier uh, first off, read The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. She was on the podcast uh, a couple months ago, and I know I talked about it endlessly, but it is one of the best books I read all year. Um, I'm pretty sure it'll be in my best books at the end of the year. Um, man, it's so, so good. But I've talked about that ad nauseum, so I'm not going to get into that. Um, but if you're looking for a different witchy read that I haven't talked about before, uh, Bunny by Mona Awad is It's kind of like Witches of Eastwick. Um, and Mean Girls. It's really delightful. Um, it was, ew, oof, how can I describe this book? Um, it's another one that's kind of similar to like Heather's, uh, but it's, I'll, you know what, I'm just going to read the description. I can do that because that's, it's in front of me and I was going to try and describe it in my own brain, but I'll just use the words that they have. So, uh, we were just these innocent girls in the night trying to make something beautiful. We nearly died. We very nearly did, didn't we? Samantha Heather Mackey couldn't be more of an outsider in her small, highly selective MFA program at New England's Warren University. A scholarship student who prefers the company of her dark imagination to that of most people, she's utterly repelled by the rest of her fiction writing cohort. A clique of uniquely, of unbearably twee rich girls who call themselves Bunny or call each other Bunny and seem to move and speak as one. But everything changes when Samantha receives an invitation to the Bunny's fabled smut salon and finds herself inexplicably drawn to their front door, ditching her only friend Ava in the process. As Samantha plunges herself deeper and deeper into the Bunny's sinister yet saccharine world, beginning to take part in the ritualistic off-campus workshop where they conjure their monstrous creations, the edges of reality begin to blur. Soon her friendships with Ava and the Bunnies will be brought into a deadly collision this is a spellbinding new novel from one of our most fearless chronicles of the female experience. Bunny is a down-the-rabbit-hole tale of loneliness and belonging, friendship, and desire. Um, okay, got a few more for you guys here. Um, so, I was thinking a lot about H.P. Lovecraft because we've been watching Lovecraft Country, much like the rest of the world. Man, it's I really, really, really adore it. It's so good. Um, so I was thinking about H.P. Lovecraft, and I wanted to offer some recommendations for you if you wanted to read books that are in that ilk that you don't want to deal with all of the disgustingness that is H.P. Lovecraft as a human, because he was a garbage fire, just a dumpster of a person. He hated people who didn't look like him. Um, sound familiar? Yeah, he's just not a great guy. So, but he, you know say what you will about him and i will happily do that he sucks um he the psychological horror that he wrote has very much impacted a lot of the things that we've seen 
in our society and in pop culture. So to that end, if you want to feel a little bit better about reading Lovecraftian type stories, I got a couple for you. Uh, the Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval is uh, a delightful book that came out um, I think 2016 and uh, was a finalist for a whole bunch of awards like the Hugo and the Nebula and Locust. And uh, so we have our main character, Charles Thomas Tester, and he is in New York and he is struggling to put food on his table and keep a roof over his father's head. Um, he knows that a suit like, can cast magic. Uh, a guitar case can provide invisibility and the curse that's written on his skin attracts, uh, and he has this, he has this curse that's written on him and it attracts the eyes of wealthy white folks and their cops. But um, he makes a delivery to this reclusive sorceress and it's an occult book in the heart of Queens. And it opens the door to a deeper realm of magic and earns the attention of things left best sleeping. So it's very, it's, you know, jazz age New York, which we're big fans of here on the podcast. Um, but it's very, very weird. And like, like I said, it's kind of psychological and creeping. And uh, it has those, those vibes that Lovecraft provides. Um, so the other one I have is The Croning by Laird Barron. Uh, strange things exist on the periphery of our existence, haunting us from the darkness looming beyond our firelight. Black magic, weird cults, and worse things loom in the shadows, and the children of Old Leech have been with us from a time immemorial, and they love us. Our main character's name is Donald Miller, and he's a geologist and an academic, and he has walked along the edge of a chasm for most of his nearly 80 years, leading a charmed life between endearing absent-mindedness and sanity-shattering realization. Now all those things converge. Donald will discover the dark secrets along the edges, unearthing savage truths about uh, his wife, Michelle, their adult twins, and all he knows and trusts. Uh, it is something that he's about to stumble on a secret, which is a secret of the croning. So it's very much like a cosmic horror, something that um, you know, talks about different worlds and alternate realities and a lot of those things that um, kind of reminds me of like an episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, so that's The Croning uh, by Laird Barron. And then the last one I have is a delightful book that is a little bit older. And it's one that I read a long time ago and I need to reread it because I really, really like it. It's called A Night in the Lonesome, in the Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. Zelazny. Um, it was written in the early 1990s, and there's 32 chapters, and they each represent a night in October, and then the, the last chapter is, um, or sorry, there's an introductory chapter as well. And it's told in first person, and it's sort of like journal entries, so a little bit of that kind of epistolary. Um, and it, how can I describe this book? It is so, so good. So basically what happens is it's set in like the Jack Ripper, Jack the Ripper time in London. Um, and there's a ton of characters that you will, you will recognize. There's Victor Frankenstein and there's Dracula and there's Jack the Ripper, obviously, and uh, Sherlock Holmes. But it is narrated from the point of view of a dog named Snuff, who is Jack the Ripper's companion. Uh, the majority of the story takes place in London and Every single chapter talks about a night in October. And there are these, there's like this dream world that is described. It's a, a Lovecraftian dream world. And it reveals that every few decades, um, when the moon is full on the night of Halloween, uh, our reality, like the fabric of reality is, is at its most thin and doors can be open between our world and the realm of the great old ones. Um, if conditions are just right, basically, people can come in and fling them open. And so there's these people that are trying to fling them open, and then there's also these people called the closers, and they fight every time this happens, the openers and the closers, um, with keeping the door, the door shut and keeping our world existing. So the closers have won every single year. The openers have yet to win. Um, and then, like, basically, the book culminates in, in their, their big battle. But the players, that are depicted are, are these famous people that I mentioned, Jack the Ripper and Count Dracula, although they're named by, they have different names. So Jack the Ripper is just Jack. Dracula is the Count. 
Um, Victor Frankenstein is the good doctor and there's also the wolf man um, and a lot of just interesting people. Uh, and they, each of them has a familiar, which is where snuff comes in. Um, so the familiar, like the majority of the story is describing the interactions and discussions amongst the familiars, which is really interesting. So the players kind of start taking sides slowly and they form alliances and you end up seeing what happens on October 31st at the end of the book. I won't, uh, I won't give it away. So, okay. Those are, that's everything. Yeah. All right. So those are a mixture of book recommendations based off of what people ask for on Twitter, as well as some of my recommendations. If you're in the spooky season mood, um, shoot us a tweet or an email. If you want some more book recommendations, customized for whatever you've been doing, uh, Jill will be back next week, I believe, I hope. Um, I hope everything goes well with moving into her new house. I know that's a stressful time. Uh, I can tell you that Monday's episode is an interview I did with Victoria Schwab all about her new book that just came out this week called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, Addie LaRue which is perfect. Another one of the best books I've read all year. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. But other than that, I think that's just about everything. I have talked for a really long time. And if you've made it this far and you're listening in, thank you. This is a whole lot of Adam you had to listen to. So, okay, that's it. I hope you guys recommend or I hope you guys enjoyed this recommendation full episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.